The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. With questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's a podcast about how people connect. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, and thank you for joining us. There are superstars, and then there are superheroes when it comes to our world. And there's no other personality that embodies that more than the woman who needs only one name to be known. Trailblazing educator, sexologist, artist, and irritant to banality. Midori founded Rope Dojo and Fort Femme, the women's dominance intensive. She penned the first English instruction book on Shibari titled Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage in 2001, paving the way to the popularity of rope. Dan Savage calls her the supernova of kink, while others affectionately call her Auntie Midori for her cool, tell-it-like-it-is, funny, reality-based teaching. She is also the author of So Here Now is Why There Is Only One, Midori. It's the first five. And hi, all the listeners out there. I actually have no idea what these five questions are, so you're going to be coming along the ride right along with me. When was the first time you ever felt you were a little different? All right. So when I was a little bit different, well, I have never not known myself to be anything but a little or a lot different. So that that's actually been, uh, I don't know when I wasn't. <laughs> First time you ever picked up a piece of rope and your reaction to it. It's so not going to be what you think it is. So when I, I grew up in uh, Japan, born in Kyoto and raised in Tokyo, and in grade school, uh, in grade school, we had these like, you know, national arts kind of day and national arts and history. I think in the U.S., I'm sure you get the stories of, of pilgrims or, you know, the founding fathers or whatever, right? And, um, and trust me, this has something to do with rope. And... And the, I remember like, you know, learning how to plant rice and learning how to do like traditional folk craft to be in touch with one's Japanese-ness because it was a public uh, grade school. And one of the things was we were told to bring like scraps and rags from home, right? And they taught us how to make a uh, rag rope because that's, that's very fundamental to the agricultural and folk ways of Japan, regardless of um, socioeconomics, because knowing how to make string or rope and wrapping is very fundamental to the indigenous religion, Shintoism, as well as how farming is done, how gardening is done, how kimono is worn. But it was, you know, about that like Japanese-ness. So I ended up making rag rope and 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 I made like meters and meters and meters of it. And we were, you know, Japan's very concerned with fire, right? So we were told that if you make this rope and should there be a fire, you could put it out your window and help <laughs> your family escape from the fire. Now, mind you, I lived on the ground floor. Mm. Okay, so I ended up just going into making rope. I, I don't know, I think it was second grade. Um, so that would be my first association with rope is as a, a cultural craft uh, that's imbued with 
with that of Japanese mess. First time you ever created a piece of art that you were really pleased with? In high school, uh, and at this point I had moved to the United States. And in high school, I was involved in the drama department, but not acting. I was just like, you know, painting backdrops and doing whatever. And I, I never thought of myself as an actor, but it was, you know, a drama kid. Hi, you know, I'm a nerd, all right? And I ended up auditioning for this play. I don't even remember why I auditioned for it. I found out later that they were planning on picking somebody else, but the, the director picked me and I ended up in the lead role for a play called I Never Saw Another Butterfly mm. and about the Tiretsen children's camp during the, uh, the atrocity of, of the Nazis and the Jewish Holocaust. So I played a young Jewish girl alone in the camps. And I, not knowing much about the, the American and European side of, of World War II, I dove into it. I think I ended up method acting. Mm. I fasted myself and I started to talk to the handful of, of uh, uh, observant Jewish uh, friends and family that I had. And the few nights it ran, by the end of it, I'm in tears and the audience is in tears. And wow. that was really when I really came to understand the horror of fascism. That's amazing, especially as we are recording this on Inauguration Day. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. First time you realized you were kinky. Oh, I've never had that. Um, because to realize I am kinky requires thinking that kinky is something different. Fair enough. Right. So I had always thought, and the way that, that a lot in, in Japan, we think of SM, not BDSM, but SM mm -hmm. is think of it as like sex with props. Right. <laughs> um, and once I got sexual with other people and even in my fantasy life, I think, I, I had a lot of things going on that I just thought people politely didn't speak of it in public. I just figured most people were creative in their sexuality mm -hmm. and they were just polite enough not to talk about it. And I, I think it was well, weirdly well into my thirties when it really, I really grokked my, I intellectually understood that other people had different access, but it really took me a while to like in my gut. And that was once I started teaching and talking to people that many people found, found it to be a separate entity and that which required that there was a closet that people had to come mm -hmm. out of. And I just thought everybody lived in this house with a bunch of different things and you just kind of open and close and go in and out of, out of, I mean, I didn't think closets as a hiding place. A closet's a place where you put your toys in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just thought people had neatly put their toys away, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, metaphorically speaking. So I have never had the, oh my God, I'm kinky moment. I have had the, oh my God, you mean, you mean most people aren't? <laughs> it would be such a wonderful world if we could all think like that. This show is always about connection and how people approach each other. And unfortunately, this is a regular question we ask on the first five. First time you ever received an unsolicited dick pic and your reaction to it. Oh, huh. unsolicited dick pic. Uh, uh, let's see. I don't remember when the first time was because, you know, it's like, I, I think it was probably a rolling my eyes, I think, was my response to it. Um, yeah, I rolling my eyes. Yep. Big, what I call ocular exercise. <laughs> 
That's great. Hello, I'm Jesse Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. This is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. Midori, being the artist that you are and the presenter that you are, you are a larger-than-life figure to many people within the community and in life. I know that when I mentioned to my queen, Lady Catalyst, that I was going to be interviewing you, she went, oh my gosh, Midori. She Aww. says, tell her I love everything about her. So I have delivered that for you. Oh, thank you. I am grateful. When people see you as bigger than life from time to time, how would you suggest they approach you in a respectful manner? Um. Geez, uh, say hi, introduce yourself. Uh, the, okay, the not so secret secret, and I've talked about this in, in like my Patreon or whatever, right? I'm actually a high functioning introvert. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a high functioning introvert. And, you know, it's not, it's quite common that performers and people who step out professionally in front of people. We're actually oftentimes really shy people. Mm. Um, I like having a job, right? Uh, so like even at, I feel awkward just going to a party, but if like, if I went to your house party, right? Mm. And like you asked me to like, oh, you know, could, you know, could I, um, could I take this tray of barbecue from the barbecue into the kitchen? You just gave me a job. It's great. I love that. It's like, I have a thing to do. Now I have a reason to talk to people. Um, so how should people approach me? Well, just, you know, come on up and, and greet me by the standard etiquette of whatever land we are in. So, you know, if we're in Japan, we would bow. And if we were in California, Okay, don't hug me maybe like a lot of Californians do because I kind of feel like, a, you know, the cat and Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, if we run into each other in Paris, you kiss me three times on the cheek, you know? Because we talk so much on this particular show about the way people approach each other, do you have a story about someone that approached you that you were genuinely surprised that they got you and they understood who you were and thus created a connection? Mm, mm. Interesting. Okay. I'm searching my brain and I'm thinking back to, I, I have the sense memory of a delight of delights and and long conversations. Um, and I'm trying to place where some of those were. Mm. It's like, I have these warm and fuzzy feelings and I'm trying to recall the faces and the occasions um, and not wanting to, not wanting to uh, stop talking. Oh. But of course, okay, one that comes to mind rather recently, because I've had several of those. Um, Chokai, who I, I swear is like some, you know, twin brother from another mother. 
<laughs> this amazing human being who I met through AIDS life cycle. And I spent about 13 years volunteering with uh, that big ride. Uh, yoga teacher uh, and oh, such a remarkable human being. Well, we knew each other from the ride for, you know, 13 years, but we really hadn't like, had chance to deeply conversation, right? And I was in New York, uh, what, two years ago or so, two, three, maybe four, time flies. And he uh, pinged me knowing that I was in town and we were both visiting New York and let's grab some coffee. I'm like, no, no, let's spend, let's spend an afternoon together. Let's just hang out. And we started talking. And, and while we knew each other from our volunteering for HIV services and uh, AIDS life cycle, we just got along so beautifully. Uh, he's a, he calls himself Papa Witch. Um, <laughs> at so many levels, he is, I am, I am a secular Buddhist and a non-theist. And uh, he is very spiritual, but he doesn't like, you know, force the woo onto people. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about love and art and people, and we ended up walking all over New York City together. And, and yeah. And then the next day, I like, I called him up and, what are you doing? And we just ended up hanging out some more. And currently, he is in uh, Indonesia, I believe and where he got stuck during the pandemic, but we still keep in touch. And I look forward to getting up to some uh, uh, good trouble in our artwork in the future, because he's also an amazing artist. What is your favorite thing about teaching the lifestyle of BDSM or rope? Is there a favorite thing that you absolutely have as your go-to topic? It's not so much a topic as why I teach, which mm -hmm. is around introducing, uh, giving people the permission to be creative. Because on one side of my career is my uh, education and sexuality education with a subject matter expertise in BDSM. My other career is as an artist. And they are both about, and, and a lot of my art on my art side is socially engaged or collaborative, um, interactive, performative, or even installations that you may actually have to go into, right? In either case, in both cases, it's actually about exploring creativity. So in my teaching work, it's about giving people the tools for creative, fuller creative self-expression, right? And so that's helping all of you out there to be fully in yourself, in your creative expression. It just happens to be around kink and sex. That's just where I fell into because of, of my, my earlier non-choices I made in my mm -hmm. life and on my personal side. So I'm, I'm teaching other people in my work and my teaching side to be creative. In my other career, in my art making, it is about me expressing and pushing my creativity. So, so two sides of the same coin. Creativity is such an amazing thing for anyone to have. Some people have it in abundance, some people struggle with it. When did you know that you were wired creatively? Uh, I, I don't think I had a separate knowledge of my own knowledge as, oh, I am this. I just am this. May I ask it in a different way? Was yeah. there ever an aha moment? Mm, I think I've always been making, creating, imagining. You know, it's funny, though. Uh, I was talking about high school and the, the play that I did. I ended up not going to, I thought about going to art school and I didn't hmm. because I thought, because I was surrounded by people who were really amazing uh, uh, illustrators and their technique was brilliant. I do stick figures, you know, <laughs> and I'm not a figurative 
artist. And I think at the high school I was at, figurative art and the ability to be a good draftsman, if you will, was what was celebrated. And I was like hammering together weird bits of like uh, uh, discarded objects into making weird sculptures and being happy with it. And it was certainly, I, I was very much influenced by um, abstract expressionism and, and such. So yeah, I didn't feel like I was a quote, good enough artist, unquote, mm. because I didn't do figurative work. So I'm like, oh, okay, no, no, let's not go to art school. And I sort of regret it and I'm sort of glad that I didn't. The name of your art site is called Ranchin, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. What uh -huh. does Ranchin mean? Oh, okay. So the name of my art site, the, the site is actually spelled R-A-N-S-H-I-N.com. But because it's hard to pronounce and spell, if you just put in planetmidori.com, it'll end up there too. So listeners, mm -hmm. just check out planetmidori.com. Ranshin is a made up word. Uh, in Japanese, by using the kanji characters, you can create new words, kind of like combining Latin-based Latin roots creatively, mm -hmm. right? So ran or rang is um, chaos, uh, chaos or disorder. Uh, shin means heart. So mm -hmm. chaotic heart, uh, but, but not chaos like I don't mean it in the chaos of, of evil, but chaos that one would find in uh, seeming randomness that you would find in nature, right? Um, that which, you know, if you took, all right, if you took a bunch of I Ching sticks and threw it out on the, on the floor, it would settle in a pattern that is quote, chaos, mm. there's a randomness to it. Uh, it's also, there's a certain kinetic feel to it. Uh, in a lot, of my, a lot of my work, whether on the, the rope and kink side or the art, art side, there's a lot of movement. Um, I am not an organized individual, okay? So I have a friend of mine, a brilliant artist, Vibrata. Her artwork is done by hand, painted, yet it looks mathematical and perfect. Mm. That's not me. My artwork is like this giant explosion of tactile chaos. That's amazing. And I'm seeing some of your art actually flash by me in the other screen over here because I have runching.com. Uh, on my other screen. So I'm being inspired by your art over there. You literally wrote the book on Japanese bondage. It's behind you as I'm taking a look at you here. Yes, The Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage. The first time I ever got put in rope work or suspension was from a lovely woman named Mama Celestia who did a partial suspension that I described as learning to fly without wings. And mm. then I had an entire suspension for the first time that was the most freeing thing that I've ever had. As she put the ropes on me, I felt like it was a physical hypnosis. Mm. When you apply ropes, what is your thought process? Hmm. And I assume, and, and hey, um, by the way, congratulations for having that experience. Thank you. That sounds really, really, really delicious and beautiful. And uh, I, I, I want to state for the, the listeners out there that the rope doesn't make that happen because you and your person, the two of you made that happen. Mm. And I want to emphasize that rope's just a damn tool. You know, it's like kitchen tools. You can have all the kitchen tools and you can probably make like, I can probably make, you know, passably nutrient filled and inoffensive thing that one might call cooking. But that's very different than creating a meal that is full of love and affection and care, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I want to celebrate that you had this amazing experience because you were 
in your human state in the right place. And she, uh, she, yep, was she was in, in just the right place. And the rope just happens to be a tool. Um, it does happen to be a tool, like many other tools, that if you approach it with uh, willingness to leave your day behind and decide to be together. And because of, I think there's a certain repetitive nature to the motion that allows for the people to come into the now, right? Mm -hmm. It's not surprising that there are many a different traditions, um, sexual, not sexual, religious, not religious, spiritual, not spiritual, that rely on repetitive motion for bringing people into alignment with themselves and another. So I wanna emphasize for the people out there that for those of you who've had remarkable experiences involving rope, it wasn't the rope, it was you. Mm. And for those of you out there who stress about, I need to know all the knots and all the shapes and all the, the positions in order to be competent. No, not really. Mm. You just need to you know, be willing to, to be genuine and present and do the best you can, but don't stress out so much that you just kind of like not pay attention to it. Um, so that's my little tangent, but uh, you were asking about me, right? On that. Um, so how I feel, oh my goodness. Okay, so that will depend entirely on the mutually agreed upon mood objective between the other person and myself. And that's one of my key questions in uh, when I have my pre-play conversation is what kind of mood do we want to go to? But before doing that, I, each myself and the other person, we would need to have a little checking in with our own gut. What are we hungry for, right? So sometimes, sometimes I feel huge. Sometimes um, I feel like, uh, I feel like, this, like an in, enormous body of water pulling you into an undertow. Um, sometimes I feel like a big bad villain. <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like, you know, Medusa snakes on her head. I don't think wanted to bite you. I think the Medusa, the snakes on Medusa's head just wanted to wrap its, themselves around you. Mm. And Medusa was, the Gorgons in general were misunderstood, but Medusa in particular. Um, you know, sometimes I'm feeling impish. So it really does depend on what it is that is, who is under the skin of the civilized presentation to the world that needs to come out. My friend Ryan, who I work with at Dating Kinky, which has been a phenomenal supporter of this podcast, was part of an online class that you had in talking about preparing a scene. And the word that he got out of it and kept really making him feel so good is the concept of not making a scene beige. Can yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh my God, beige. All right. So uh, for the dear listeners out there, you may be familiar with uh, one of the ways that people structure safe words is using the, the light of the, the, the colors of the stoplight. You know, red for stop, um, yellow or amber to slow down and green for go baby, go. <laughs> so a lot of people are familiar with that, but beige. Beige is that, you know, it's just kind of there. It's vaguely inoffensive, yet boring as hell. Um, a lot of people worry about uh, having like catastrophic accidents, right? Or like hitting a hard red. Yeah, all right. Be concerned about that, sure. And know, know enough to like try to avoid that. You know what happens more frequently? than a hard red or a hard safe word is 
oh my god are we done yet mm. oh well you know at least i'm getting play so i shouldn't complain but oh my god oh. <laughs> uh, beige beige is you know looking at the ceiling going yeah do i need to get milk i need to get milk oh hey hi yeah all right yeah okay <laughs> yeah you're doing that thing with the rope then you're making that face okay great all right i know i have milk do i need toilet paper oh yeah i'm having a great time honey there's more frequently more often than not beige can happen and and yeah, avoiding the, the um, hard limits and the landmines and, and, uh, and the red safe word is important, but let's also think about keeping the beige and boredom at bay. Oh my God. Are there two or three tips to avoid beige when it comes to pre-negotiation? Okay, so um, getting once, all right, so tips on getting avoiding beige and going for the green. Okay. Um, by the way, my name means green, which is funny because it's like, say my name, damn it. <laughs> it's a go word. Um, so getting your expectation on alignment together. I was talking earlier about what kind of mood I wanna be in mm -hmm. and getting that in alignment. So that's a really good way to try to minimize the beige. Now beige could happen, you know, let's say that I've got a lot on my mind and I just can't shake it no matter what I do. And listeners, that's gonna happen. It happens to anyone. And especially with the world being crazy as it is, uh, if you have too much on your mind or you're too stressed, you can't quite let go, whether into topping or bottoming, you know, it happens. But barring that, Barring that, getting the expectation in alignment, like, all right, if I'm feeling silly and goofy and kind of sweet in my, my kink play, but you're wanting to, you're wanting like the, the fierce, cold-hearted, ice queen, cruel bitch dress, and let's say we happen to both agree on let's play with a flogger. And, you know, in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to wash the flogger all over you and I'm going to tickle you with it and I'm going to poke you with it. And I've got a bunny fur flogger and I've got my chicken floggers. And then maybe you're thinking, you know, you're thinking of like the, oh, the enduring, the, the she wolf from hell. And, and then, you know, I'm coming at you with fuzzy slippers and a bunny flogger and you're going to be disappointed and I'm going to feel judged. And yet we, here we were agreed on playing with floggers. Um, and you might put up with it and I might keep trying to top you, even though I see your eyebrows furrowing into a face of, of judgment and dissatisfaction. And then I internally go into self-flagellation and I'm not good <laughs> enough. And what am I not doing well? And you go, oh my God. Um, yeah. So that's a beige. And that could have been avoided had I said, you know, I'm feeling kind of silly. And you say, oh, I'm kind of looking for scary. And, uh, and then I might say, oh, how about silly and scary, like psycho clown? <laughs> and I'm going to be the psycho clown that kidnaps you on the, that showed up to the circus on the school field trip. Ha ha. Love it. Just then, love it. Yeah. And then suddenly... Oh, you know, the rubber chicken flogger. By the way, I do actually have a rubber chicken flogger. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> That's amazing. I had it custom made. That's beautiful. Midori, what is it about being in bondage that is so freeing? Mm, I think for every person who enjoys being in bondage or even once, Right? And uh, one does not have to always love being in bondage. One can also just have had a great experience once and possibly never again. That doesn't make one's experience any less. Uh, I want to emphasize that for the listeners out there. For every person and every occasion, there's a different reason as to why one might love it but broad brush strokes, let's see, the thing that 
a lot of uh, common reasons might be, well, it takes a lot of work to engage in, in muscular skeletal self-control. Just mm -hmm. when you think about just standing, walking, you know, comporting ourselves, we have to maintain our body autonomously. And what if you didn't have to? What if you could just go noodly and you were contained? All right, so not having to be responsible for your body. Then there's that feeling of being held for some folks before yet another person, or maybe a, the same person on a different night. It might be about being uh, uh, helplessly exposed. For somebody else, it might be an opportunity to struggle, something to struggle against. For another, it may actually integrate their mind and body and their head and their flesh back together. Because what else can they do but sit in their own skin? And sometimes we do everything but try to be aware of being in our own skin. Hmm. I'm seeing the two books to either side of you as I look at you. One is the seductive art of Japanese bondage. The other one is wild side sex. Yes. There are a lot of times when people from the outside world or outside our community always equate the kink with the sex. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, kink is about capturing a moment. Mm -hmm. As I call it, and I realize it's a YouTube, YouTube lyric, stuck in a moment I can't get out of. Uh -huh. Talk to me about that borderline between a moment and sex. Does it always have to be a mo Does it always have to be thought of as sex? And if not, why not? Well, that depends on how you define sex. Mm. When you think about it, okay, if we're going to like mess with words, right? Um, sex is intercourse. Original meaning of intercourse is to have a dialogue. Hmm, very true. You and I are having a dialogue, therefore you and I are having conversational intercourse. And it's quite enjoyable. Okay, um, so sex, now there's the, the tabe sloppy heteronormative sex, which is also sex, but there's also sex that one may, may have just by Okay, so let's say, you know, you're, you're taking a shower and you just take a moment to notice, notice all the sensations in your body, right? Sex, for some people, on some night, one, the same activity may be more sexual or not. Hmm. So, you know, what is, what is sex? When you feel... Uh, when you're experiencing, let's say, tab A slot B, mm -hmm. right? But you're not feeling uh, emotionally penetrated or penetrating. Is that sex? Mm -hmm. If you are having a, an interaction that is erotically or existentially penetrating or penetrated or uh, dissolving of, of ego, one's ego state into another, could that not fathom to be sex? And, mm -hmm. and since I like science fiction, wrote the science mm -hmm. fiction, short stories. I don't know if you're familiar with my uh, fiction and my smut. No. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not familiar with it, but I need to look into it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually, uh, I'm not a prolific smut writer, not like Cecilia Tan or Laura Antonio. Uh, but if you were, if one were to consider, and I like science fiction, yeah. So if we were to consider the opportunity of the dissolving of the boundary of self into another, or to quote another good song from the 80s, hello. Um, uh, I melt, I melt into you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, modern English. Yeah. Modern English. Right. Um, that's sex. Mm -hmm. I do write fiction. Um, 
and this is a really dark set of uh, cyberpunk mm -hmm. called Master Han's Daughter, a slim collection of short stories set in a near future, uh, near future gritty Tokyo with more than a little hat tip towards Blade Runner. Mm. And this one, Silk Threads, this is original cover, the sub uh, for the Kickstarter, which went ridiculously well. Mm -hmm. I co-authored with Cecilia Tan and Laura Antonio of the Marketplace fame. And photo of the three of us. Nice. And, oh, I'm awfully red in that one. I probably had a few. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was actually the house party at the loft in New York. That's right. Uh, we wrote that together, set in three different generations in Japan. Wow. Yeah. But because the format and the structure is not what mainstream publication, uh, mainstream publishers are deemed sellable. Mm -hmm. the, uh, none of the publishers, they like, oh, this is a great idea, but we don't know where to fit it in. We ended up self-publishing it. So Laura Antony wrote about a medieval past in Japan. Mm -hmm. I wrote about the present and Cecilia about the future and all with this family lineage. It's full of kinky sex, by the way. <laughs> and mine is my story. Hey, do you remember the show uh, Northern Exposure? Yes, very much so. Yes, where the city doctor goes to a village in Alaska and hijinks ensue. I actually, I actually used to live right by the town where they filmed that in, oh which was goodness. in uh, the Pacific Northwest uh, outside of Seattle. Oh my goodness. Uh, so my story is like Northern Exposure meets True Blood, but it's set in Japan. Okay. Dare I ask, is Midori a nerd? No. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> Look, the expanse is like, help me get through the pandemic, okay? I mean, genius stuff. That's an amazing show. Oh, yeah. And, and, and when I was watching at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was... Um, in the midst of season two. So you've got all of these people living in, in isolation in little tin cans in space as an unknown, highly contagious disease vector is jumping across various borders and uh, different powers that be are having a power struggle while there's military uprising and dissatisfaction with a centralized government and all these people living in tiny little tin cans. Mm. Let me tell you, I was like, oh my God. I actually watched a show on Netflix called The Barrier, which yeah. was set in Spain. And watching it during the pandemic, you would have sworn that they'd actually written it knowing what was going on but it was written like a couple years ago but right they, it's still the same and it's scary i just started watching that i just finished the first episode so no spoilers i'm looking forward to it. did you watch the the most recent season of star trek discovery i have not watched it yet i, I i'm looking forward to it i love the star trek universe i actually think and I know it's an unpopular thing that Alex Kurtzman has done a great job with the Star Trek franchise so far. Mm -hmm. And third season, I'm just saying, Michelle Yeoh, head to toe leather. And okay, there's, and there's, I, about halfway through, there's an entire, um, like a fetish takeover of, discovery i'm just gonna leave it at that i think i'll be subscribing to cbs all access momentarily <laughs> it, is, it is so kinky it is so hot laura and i went off on at least two different episodes of uh, we have a show on our patreons mm -hmm. and we do a weekly thing and uh, we went off on it for just oh loving on it drooling all over it and oh yeah it was kinky as hell Looking forward to that. Oh, including the interrogation scene. Right. Oh, those are always yeah. amazing. Uh-huh.
Hi, I'm Dr. Allison Ash, trauma-informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy, and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for it in their relationships, and to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your podcast. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works. Real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. Midori, it's been very difficult being able to get out and teach. You've been doing it virtually. But when you are able to get out and teach, is there a part of the country that surprises you how kinky it is? Mm, well, let's see. I can't say I've got a, a great sampling because, you know, a, I go where I'm invited, mm -hmm. right? And oh my God, I miss teaching in person. And I will say this, as much as I'm trying to make, you know, best use out of the digital teaching, and yet there are upsides to being able to learn online, it does not replace in-person teaching and in-person learning. Mm -hmm. Like I won't take my women's intensive for TFM online because it is designed to be an immersion and learning from one another. It's experiential, right? Mm -hmm. But I am teaching things that will prepare people to get more out of when the time comes for in-person learning. So getting back to your question, because I have not been to everywhere, I, I can't say about you know, where I'm sure I'm going to be surprised. Um, I've heard Utah is rather kinky and that surprised oh me. God, yeah. yeah, oh, oh, them Jack Mormons are a bunch of fun <laughs> people, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, they sure can shine their boots well. But yeah, they're, and they're really good at forming um, chosen communities. Uh, and I think because there is a, a broader culture that is conservative and uh, tends to not speak personal truths, when there's that external pressure that people will crystallize into mutual support, right? Mm -hmm. um, Years ago, I went and taught a bit in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And boy, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful and, part of the world. Yeah. And uh, uh, pragmatic, straightforward, good people. It is a combination of a, a capital, a provincial capital, I guess. Uh, so there's a lot of bureaucrats, but also a lot of college kids and art students. And folks who are live and let live, but the population is small enough that different demographics and, and people who love differently end up coming together because there's not enough of a, a 
not enough of a sexual minority population to split off into enough cliques and organizations. Mm -hmm. So you end up with all sorts of diverse interests and orientations playing together, which I thought was really impressive. You mentioned Fort Femme, which is your set of classes that uh, the tagline here is unleash your authentic power from the bedroom to the boardroom. It seems to me that today women are in amazing places when it comes to being able to feel empowered and empowering themselves. And I think there's this amazing opportunity for so many women now, but there still seems to be this lack of respect from many men. I see it in the kink world when it comes to the messaging that they do to each other and in trying to form connections. Where do you think the role of an empowered woman can help in trying to teach the respect? And I'm not talking just kinkily, but I'm talking in regular life teach respect to the male side of things and will they ever be open to listening? Well, wow, big question. Okay. Um, for, for each woman to understand her rightfully earned entitlement, and I say rightfully earned, Right? Mm -hmm. that she is entitled to, insert blank, right? That to recognize what we are each rightfully have agency over and we have earned the space we take and to take up the space that we have, not only historically, but every single woman who through her life's path has created her, her sphere, what I call sphere of influence, mm -hmm. right? So for every woman to own that means that, and to, to do so matter-of-factly, that, that this just is, will affect other people of all genders. But I think what's really important is raising kids and youth in such a way that, that we teach empathy and respecting one another's agency and where it's not about one's, one's gender or perceived gender or, or assigned sex where it is, yeah, it's, it's about empathy into other humans. And empathy is something that is modeled in order to be learned, correct? Yes. And, and modeled, explained, um, lived in to be experienced. And, and for some people to whom empathy may come with a struggle to, to have that moment of of recognizing when somebody was being empathic to you. Mm -hmm. That took the time to give you the space to be who you are or to, to make an effort to truly understand where you're coming from, right? Instead of just assuming. So I think a lot has to do with, with engaging in our potential for empathy. I received a question from my queen, Lady Catalyst, and she wanted me to ask you, can you recommend any books or online tools for growing people in powerful roles pertaining to the BDSM community? I think she wants to see if there are any books or online tools that can help people become more powerful, either as tops or as doms to be able to grow into that role 
Is there a good, I guess, transitional book or something that helps people understand a little bit of the psyche and the mindset from the top perspective? Instead of that which is available in the kink world, I think it's about discussion around the potential of, of power and authority. I think this almost leads into uh, uh, leadership skills, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I, w I went through, and I didn't, God, I hardly absorbed any of the lessons that was given to me, but um, I'm a veteran. I'm an Army veteran. And oh, yeah. Thank you very much for your service. I, I got lucky, you know, and, and you're welcome. I got lucky. I ended up serving when peace accidentally broke out. <laughs> but as a, I was enlisted and then I got my commission and as a young officer and, you know, I was barely hatched as a human being. I, uh, I think I was really young to absorb the, the lessons of uh, leadership education. I could, you know, just barely figure out my own life. I think I would absorb these lessons quite differently now that I've had a little more living under my skin. But yeah, I think, um, empathic conscientious leadership discussion and talking about the nature of, of informal influence and informal power. Mm -hmm. I, I think when we talk about uh, BDSM and uh, power, we end up so stuck in, in commercial cliches. You know, it, there's this funny thing that when we, in kinksters will often think of ourselves as being somehow more creative because we got a few more props, but in a lot of ways, we really stuck in some pretty cliched or trope ways of using toys, of interacting. Um, I love it when people try to play with or consider pervertibles because that's a way of stretching one's creativity. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, there's a lot of kink behavior that is so stereotyped that we essentially trap ourselves into another set of expectations, mm. right? And I, I think we limit ourselves in thinking around the potential of what exactly is leading and how do we engage in this uh, temporarily redistributed authority? Mm -hmm. And where does... You know, there's this whole myth that a, a person, I don't believe a person is a dominant or a submissive. That creates a cognitive framework that limits our own potentiality. Mm -hmm. And we may, based upon the cliches that we have in our head, it, it's kind of like saying, I'm, I'm a parent now, I'm a mommy now, so these are the things I must do. I'm a mommy now, so I... These are things I can and cannot do and how I should behave. Well, why? Well, that's because it's how it is. Well, why? Um, and engaging in kink dominance too. I think we get stuck in, in expectations of who we are as a person when we start to refer to ourselves as a noun or a label. I am a dominant, I'm a submissive, which is a very different statement than I wanna dominate you. I need to submit tonight. The latter set of phrasing allows for the, the multifacetedness of an individual. Interesting. <laughs> Do we just question. go from like military leadership training to like like kink play? Yeah, we totally did, didn't we? <laughs> I could have never imagined you in the military, but I can see how that might have affected a few things. I was a pretty good soldier. Phenomenal. And pretty, yeah, and I was a pretty good soldier without, um, and, and for those who uh, think that people who serve 
are somehow right leaning or have a certain political outlook. Not true. Hmm. Uh, I served in the US Army and um, it actually solidified my progressive and liberal perspectives. Midori, you have done so much. You have made such an amazing impression on so many people. Is there a goal that you still have in life that is still out there that you want to achieve? Oh my God, so many. Okay, first of all, I mean, we could go on for like hours talking about all the places I want to travel to, okay, mm -hmm. that alone, right? And all the food I want to eat, right? <laughs> and uh, the books I need to write and the art residencies and the projects I wanna do. Are you kidding? I have like, I have so much I want to do and there's not enough hours in the day. Oh my God. Uh, like today alone, just today and right. And thank you for, and, and dear listeners, I uh, started like 10 minutes late on the recording, but, but um, they were so kind as to let me do so. I mean, just today alone, right? There's this um, you know, morning inauguration, I'm on the phone and then I'm on a coaching call with a student who I'm doing like ongoing coaching as Auntie Midori to her living a better life. And then I'm out making an artwork and then delivering the props for a photo shoot. And I'm working on a class that I'm presenting and make, and, on military play and interrogation scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm like, oh my God, I need to write that article. And, uh, and then I have this wonderful podcast that I'm getting to do. And then there's, I'm working out later and then somewhere I should eat. I probably should eat, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and yes, uh, uh, and then I actually want to like uh, screw off and just sit on the couch and watch like, I don't know, another episode of The Expanse. Oh my God. Uh, and then there's a book I want to, to continue reading into and that's my day. And that's every day. If you were the all-knowing, all-being, how many hours in a day would you need to be able to do everything that you want? Uh, actually, I would do really well with a 36-hour day because I like to sleep 10 hours and then I'm up forever. This 24 hour a day planet is really inconvenient. Um, <laughs> it's funny, my wife's like, yeah, you're definitely not from this planet because if I were left alone in like, you know, one of those cave experiments, I would happily live a 36 hour day. So I think whatever planet my um, DNA comes from, most have had a 36 hour day rotation around its star. That would be what it would be like on planet Midori. Yes. Is there anything you would like to promote or talk about? We will put as many links as we can in our show notes, but I'd love to give our guests the opportunity to promote what they'd like to. Oh, thank you. I would absolutely love it, love it, love it if you would all come in and join my Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Planet Midori, where I have live events, office hours about every two weeks, classes, recording of classes. You get uh, access to the archives and videos of classes and, of course, my artwork and I share rather transparently about my journey, successes, stumbles, and frustrations as an artist and, oh, and do little icebreaker live events. And the membership not only support my ability to write and make art, and I gotta finish that next Rope Bondage book, but also gives me moral support it's been a joy. So I hope that people will come to my Patreon and uh, yeah, check that out. And as I mentioned, we'll have links to many other things in our show notes. Midori, this has been an honor and a pleasure, and it's been so fun getting to know you. You ask some awesome questions and not questions I've ever been asked before. Yeah. 
Kudos well, to you. Thank you very much. And maybe we'll meet again someday. Yay. What an absolutely fun conversation with a legend. And if you ever get the chance to have a class with her, you will love and cherish every minute of it. We have a bonus episode this week on Friday. It's a special edition of the show with my presentation from the Dating Kinky, Kinky Dating Something Something in Love, blah, blah, blah event, where I am joined by the Gentle Dom and O Pearl. And next week, a polyamory special with the amazing Dan and Dawn from the Erotic Awakening podcast and Leanne Yao from the Polyphilia blog joining us all the way from the UK. Coming up, the powerhouse lineup of Mistress Diamond Blue, Kendra James, Mistress Justine Cross, and Mistress Snow. Check out our archives from some of the shows from our past week. And now the super fast Patreon plug of the week. Patreon.com. What Women Want Podcast. Support the show. Get great perks. Pretty simple, eh? That'll do it for this week's edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I'm John, otherwise known as Hi There Katsu, to my kinky friends. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Done Differently.